The teacher is teaching the golden rule American history and practical man You study them hard and hoping to pass Working your fingers right down to the bone And the guy behind you won't leave you alone Ring, ring goes the bell The cook and the lunch room ready to sell Hello to the tribe of love and to those of us that are listening to today's broadcast of Talk Out of Schools. My name is Daniel Alisea. My pronouns are he, him, and his. And I am the proud son of Manny and Alma. And I want to welcome everyone to Talk Out of School. I'm coming to you live again on WBAI, listener-sponsored, locally controlled, non-commercial Pacifica Radio in New York, City, we're on 99.5 on your FM dial, and this is a Pacifica radio station. Uh, if you'd like to also listen to us online, you, we're being streamed at WBAI.org. At Talk Out of School, we focus on the issues affecting public schools and public education here in New York City, on the state level, and nationally. Since early July, since early this summer, Talk Out of School has been broadcasting now on Saturdays at 1 p.m., and this is our new day and time. And if you'd like to listen later or share today's broadcast with a friend or a loved one, uh, you can also go to the WBAI archives, and the podcast will be there. You can also uh, just search up Talk Out of School on Apple or Spotify, and you can find our archive of uh, episodes that we've had in the last year and a half or so. And today is an exciting day because with us, we have the GOAT. Um, the GOAT in New York City activism and liberation and African-American education uh, from public schools to higher education and in uh, scholarship. And yes, Taj Sutton, my sister and my friend in the struggle, I am using your description uh, of the GOAT, the greatest of all time, one of our beloved and one of our elders in our community. Uh, we have with us today, Dr. Sam Anderson. And yes, I am going to read your resume today, uh, Dr. Anderson, uh, because I think they should be lauded. And we want to do that today also. We want to honor um, you being with us today. And so uh, S.E. Anderson, as many of us know him as, is an activist, teacher, writer, he is a native son of Brooklyn's Bed-Stuy neighborhood. He has recently taught at NYU's Gallatin School. Uh, he was, for five years, the education director at Medgar Evers College Center for Law and Social Justice. He is one of the founding members of the Black Panther Party, as well an activist within the Student Nonviolent Committee, SNCC, and the Black Arts Movement of the 1960s. He became one of the first Black Studies directors in 1969 when he was hired to chair Sarah Lawrence College's Black Studies program. He has been an activist since the 1960s in various organizations. Uh, those include the Black Student Congress, African Heritage Studies Association, African Liberation Stu uh, Support Committee, the Black New York Action Committee, the Black Liberation Press, the New York Algebra Project, and uh, he's been active here in New York City in, in such efforts such as the Educational Excellence, um, the Independent Commission on Public Education, NYC, or ICOPE, also the National Black uh, Education Agenda, NBEA, 
the Coalition for po uh, Public ed Education, uh, one of the precursors to this fight in, against mayoral control, the CEP, and the Black Left Unity Network. He is also a founding member of the Board of Trans Trustees of the Malcolm X Museum and was for several years a member of the Board of Director Directors of the now-closed Brecht Forum. And so with us today is a scholar, a professor, one of our elders in our community. Uh, he's done a lot of work, uh, consultant work recently, especially uh, especially around African-American education in our communities, uh, from public schools to uh, the university level. And so today I have Dr. Anderson with us. Uh, welcome, Dr. Anderson. Well, thank you. Uh, the show is over now. <laughs> <laughs> so today we talk about the struggle uh, for community control of New York City schools. Um, starting, I do want to get really into the Ocean Hill-Brownsville um, situation, um, the strike, the protests, um, the struggle to bring in community control of our schools, the city schools, and then the subsequent teacher strike. And then we'll talk a little bit more about um, how that's progressed over the years to a decentralized system, and then eventually to what we have now, mayoral control since 2002 of New York City public schools. And so, Dr. Anderson, um, tell us a little, a, a little bit about yourself as a, as a child of Bed-Stuy. Um, what was it like to, to grow up in the 1950s and 60s? But more importantly, um, what was your entree into to activism? Well, my childhood um, was unique. Um, uh, my father was in the military. Um, and to make a long story short, uh, my first schooling was in kindergarten, a German word, in Germany, right after World War II. So here's this little black kid in Germany in a, in a, in a, in, 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 in a kindergarten in Germany. Um, and then I come back, I think it's the second, I'm in the second grade or so uh, in Bed-Stuy. Um, I have a German accent. In those days, the teachers saw that as a like a speech impediment. And so I had to go to um, uh, language classes. <laughs> you know, because, because they, you know, here's a black child with a German accent in Bed-Stuy. You know, uh, it's like, can't happen. <laughs> and in those days, they didn't understand how swiftly a young child would change uh, and, and pick up the lingo uh, of, of their peers, right? So I had to go through that that traumatic experience. And then eventually, I think by the fourth grade or fifth grade, uh, my parents moved out of um, Bed-Stuy and went out into suburbia, out into Amityville, um, because that was the thing to do, to run away from um, the the urban centers and go out to the suburbs, and that's a whole nother story because it was segregated and so forth. Um, so that um, by by the however by the 1960s I'm in I'm in college, and so um, my by the time I returned back from college in '66, um, I'm connected indirectly with what was going on in Ocean Hill Brownsville because my parents. Uh, church was Reverend Galamison's church, 
and he was very, very active in, in this. And, but my, my base, my political base at that time was Harlem, <clears throat> was in Harlem. And so I, I hooked up with the community control struggle through the, the newly formed Black Panther Party uh, at IS-201. We also did um, uh, some work with the Two Bridges, and then it was a, a brief attempt at some school in the Bronx, which I don't remember, but that didn't, that didn't gel. But the, but the IS-201 did. And that was my entree, my, my entree into the struggle around public education. Um, and I, I never left it in, in, in one shape, form or shape. So that's, that's my intro. Um, so you, you mentioned being introduced in 1966. So in, in order to frame what will happen in 68 in Ocean Hill and Brownsville, um, could you tell us a little bit about that struggle about community control? Um, some of the goals that were um, being fought for and advocated for. What right. was that struggle? What did it look like in 66? I know by 67 uh, and 68, the the city will have some type of pilot program in the Ocean Hill bed area. So if you could right. just tell us a little bit about um, some of the things that you saw as far as the, the struggle for community control in that time. Um, there was, well, let me, let me back up and just say in 19, I believe it was 1965, uh, Reverend Galamison wrote an article about the need for a people's board of education because he, he saw the, the racist, uh, institutionalized racism within the New York City public school system. And so he started to envision an, another form of, of governance that would help fight that uh, racist construct. Um, the organizers uh, in, who were public school teachers and, and administrators, Black primarily, uh, uh, around the issue of community control, both in Harlem and in Ocean Hill-Brownsville, um, saw the importance or, or the uh, need for what Reverend Glamison had laid out. The question was, how do you get to that point, Right. How do you organize and so forth? And so um, in that in those days, there were still very progressive ministers, black and white, and and Puerto Rican also in, 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 that, in those days. And that that was one of the approaches to get to, get to those ministers. Reverend Glamison was able to do that quite well um, and, and convinced them that they should support this effort for the communities to be directly involved in the school system for quality education to happen. And so that, that, that was discussion organizing 66, 67 uh, across, the, across the city uh, and, it, and it reached a point uh, where um, by 67, 67-ish, I guess, yes. Ocean Hill-Brownsville um, was the tipping point. That, that, that whole school effort, um, the mainly white-led uh, uh, UFT in opposition to, to what uh, Rody McCoy, who was the first superintendent, 
what he was advocating in terms of, you know, where power would lie, where decisions would, would lie. And he was, Rhodey was following the, the vision of this whole concept of community control from the neighborhood schools out. Okay. So that's, that's um, uh, where we were then. And um, the other thing. The, I'm sorry. What were some of the goals? Um, what did other than personnel, um, maybe even curriculum, what was the goals of these community um, control advocates? What, what were some of the goals that they, they wanted to see within schools? Um, a, a, maybe a clearer picture as to yeah. what they wanted to see. Um, yes. Besides, very importantly, more Black and Puerto Rican, then more Black and Puerto Rican teachers, um, there, and, and a curriculum that was reflective of the student body, uh, it was also parental involvement literally in the day-to-day process of the school, the, the ability to hire and fire a principal, um, the ability to participate in the fiscal responsibilities of the school, to see that money, see where it goes, make suggestions on who the vendors should be and so forth and so on, that the, that the vendors should not be solely dependent upon then 110 Livingston Street, <laughs> that they wanted, they wanted vendors that would be able to come from the community so that the, so Black and Puerto Rican economic development would happen. So that, 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 that was there. The other was the importance of a good meal for children um, and the importance of sports and music because they were beginning to phase out sports and music in the elementary and middle, middle schools uh, in, in, uh, in the neighborhood. And so there was a lot of pushback by the parents on, on that. So, it's, so the issues were, 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 were broad, you know, they, they were not just we demand more black teachers and more Puerto Rican teachers, you know, not just that, but it, it, these, these other uh, factors that, that were essential in, in the minds of the leadership and the parents, what makes a school a neighborhood school, right? And the other, the, one of the other things that they wanted to make sure with the, when, when the students leave at 2.30 or 3 o'clock or 3.15, the school stays open, right? And that it stays open for a number of reasons that the community, the respective communities would advocate for. One of those uh, that were, were being pushed is um, adult education. Because as we, as, as we know, um, many Puerto Rican immigrants, many uh, Black folk who migrated from the South up into New York had minimal education background as, as, as young people. Now they're adults. And, here, and here's an opportunity uh, in your neighborhood to get a GED. All right. And, 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 and those, in those days, a GDD, GDE was, GED was worth something. Because you had to work hard <laughs> to, 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 to get it. But, but that, that, was, that was another aspect of the, the demands uh, and the vision. Really make the schoolhouse a center of the, of the community and really educating everyone. Exactly. Wow. Um, yeah. So I know that the experiment 
uh, with Ocean Hill, Brownsville. Um, the city allowed for it. They they started to select principals outside of um, the, I guess, the central DOE back then or the Board of Education back then. Yeah. Um, I understand that the first Puerto Rican principal was hired in Ocean Hill or Brownsville. And uh, there was a lot of great changes, um, including teaching uh, Swahili and African counting and, and just really a focus on culturally responsive education, yes. something that we're talking about even today. And I guess you kind of touched on it. There was some pushback by 1968 as the community is already starting to flourish within this, this, this uh, community control district of Ocean Hill, Brownsville, there's a few things going on. Um, there's the assassination of, of Dr. King in 1968. 68. Um, mm-hmm. There is this push now for even greater control within the Ocean Hill, Brownsville um, community, including deciding if certain teachers or, or certain principals should be hired or not. Um, there is then some pushback by the United Federation of Teachers, which is the teacher union. Your thoughts on the dynamic that went on there, because one of the things I hear as a New York City educator is that the 1968 strike was necessary and that um, somehow it was this this benchmark for our, our labor rights. But is that the entire picture? Um, how do you think that was handled? Um, a lot of the teachers, there was a group of teachers, I think, at 271 was the school in junior high school in, in Ocean Hill, Brownsville, that uh received a letter saying that they would be terminated. And so um, you're, you're transfer. Or transfer. 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 It wasn't terminated. You're right. Yeah, right. So um, your thoughts on just that dynamic, because I know well, that um, a lot of, a lot of folks have a revisionist view of it. And I, I really want to hear um, the story from, from the ground. Um, as you probably could imagine, um, being a, a predominantly white teaching staff, now having a uh, parents and a, a black administrator, principal, a Puerto Rican principal overseeing you. <laughs> There's, a, you know, the in, internalized racism meant that there was going to be pushback by many of these teachers that they didn't, they did not want to do what the, um, the leadership, the current leadership wanted to do. And, so, uh, uh, for example, Rody McCoy, he had he had no choice because the, the, there was a, a a curriculum that should be followed, and these teachers were not doing that. They were not doing that work. They were also reluctant to participate in the in school um, inter teacher um, uh, work meetings and so forth. Right? They would just leave. And, and not participate, they, you know, arrogantly leave. You know, they, they spend their time in the classroom uh, and then leave. And so that that got to be a real problem. The students were complaining. Uh, the parents were complaining. Fellow teachers, white and black, were complaining. You know, they, they said, you know, we, we agree with this whole idea of uh, a community-based uh, education and the curriculum. And, and here are some a, a handful of white teachers who are not who are resisting, who were in fact in some cases sabotaging. So he had to get rid of them. He, he couldn't fire them. He could transfer them. 
And so that's what he did. But what the corporate media put out was that they were kicked out, implying that they were fired and not transferred, and and that they were they were other teachers willing, uh, young black teachers, young Puerto Rican teachers, and young white teachers willing to come in to um, the, the the school and and take up the. To the, the the vision and, and and work in that. The the other fascinating thing, and this is a little historical footnote here, is that you mentioned Africa counts, right? You mentioned that was a curriculum that was a curriculum, a part of a curriculum that was developed by a white woman named Claudia Zaslavsky. She she's no longer with us. Um and over the years, since that, since she started that as a teacher, she then began to say, oh, wow, you know, there's, there's a lot of support for this. And so she wrote a book, Africa Counts. And that book was um, one of the big sellers across the country in, in, in seeing how you can incorporate uh, African concepts of, of, of mathematics in, in, within the classroom to elementary school. And, and so... So, but a lot, a lot of people don't know, uh, don't know that about, about her. She was, she, she, she retired when I, when I finally met her, caught up with her, she had retired, but we became good friends uh, over the years because my background is math and hers was math. And we both had an interest in seeing the connections between uh, um, uh, the development of mathematics historically and uh, the African continent, uh, India and, and the Americas. So, you know, I'm looking at some of the New York Times pictures and headlines of that of that time period. It, it, stuff got a, a little bit heated. There, there were definitely some some violent protests of folks that got hurt. Um, I guess my question would be, you spoke about the, the importance of curriculum and the pushback. Um, a little bit more on that, especially what we're seeing now. You, you, you mentioned how community control was really looking for a lot more fair and and more culturally responsive curriculum. And we're seeing that now there seems to be a violent pushback against uh, now against CRT um, and some of the culturally responsive um, agenda that, that many, many educators have today. There seems to be a pushback on that. Um, Any, any links that you see uh, between that, that era um, with community control um, the idea or the importance of of having and sharing our history, and uh, how how people are reacting today. So you're seeing yeah. school boards uh, light up now. Um, we're seeing school board school school boards becoming violent. Um, you're seeing yeah. school board members being attacked. Um, any any thoughts on that? And then I'll, I'll I'll try to transition to what the city and the state decided to do as a result of um, some of the strife that that came out of Ocean Hill or Brownsville. Um, yes, the the context, the social political context in which we were uh, fighting for community control was within the global turmoil, a revolutionary upsurge um, that impacted everybody. Even a person living in the farm in Idaho at that time, they you know the, the, the Vietnam War issue and so forth. You know, so so you had this socio-political, cultural milieu, milieu in which um, you 
you you had uh, the ability to do things that today in 2021 is unheard of, right? Um, you had a community, I had a school or schools, and in them you had teachers and a principal uh, who were saying, we will do this about the curriculum and, th- and, and that this is, we will develop an anti-racist curriculum. We will develop a, a culturally, what we call today, culturally responsive uh, uh, curriculum uh, or African-centered or Latin-centered uh, kind of um, uh, curriculum. We will do that and we will hire the teachers who have the ability to educate our children on that. And the parents said yes, right? And and so you know it, because of the of uh, the context, the you know the world context helped. And then in New York City, um, you know you you New York City being uh, reluctantly a intellectual center, um, and then and then particularly an intellectual center for Black and Brown people for decades. Um, it, it was like for for many of the parents, <laughs> a no brainer. Yeah, this this makes sense. But today we don't, we, you know, we, we don't have the power in the schools to make that kind of decision, and and uh, any any longer in in many of the schools in New York City, most of the schools. The other interesting thing is um, New York City. Uh, the experiment, Ocean Hill-Brownsville, Two Bridges, IS-201, were looked upon as uh, prototypes, role models for Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, uh, Chicago, um, Boston, uh, where Black people, um, and, and L.A. and the Bay Area, where Black people and Brown people were were now you know rising up there you know like I said the social movement and so of course it'll be part it'll be brought into the whole issue of, of education um, and and so you had um, which is sort of underwritten you had some very powerful educational developments in terms of community control in these in these cities elsewhere you know Buffalo Cleveland you had them and and. You, I, I think I, I don't know if there's anybody doing a dissertation on this or not, but the but the impact of of uh, what happened in New York in terms of community control, you know, spread like wildfire across the across the country, um, and, and and so that that the even though you had a conservative presidency for a minute with within that time period. The local politicals were more liberal than they were uh, conservative. And so a lot of these things were allowed to happen. And Lindsay was uh, um, a, a more of a liberal, a liberal, right? And so he, he oversaw, he, didn't, he did not um, immediately repress with police brutality, immediately repress the demonstrations and so forth and so on, you know, even though the, the, the cops wanted to do that, he, 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 um, he, he, he structured it in such a way that, you know, that, that you don't want to do that because that'll just create a, a flare up right in the community that, you know, 
uh, uh, um, police going into the schools and arresting the black principal and arresting, you know, that, that kind of thing. So yes, um, that, that is the context in which uh, I think these kinds of things can develop for us in, in 2021, we need to reestablish a power base or bases within our schools in order for um, these kinds of changes to happen. And it's, it, it, it's much more of a challenge now, uh, I think, uh, than then uh, for a, a number of reasons, which we, we don't have time to get into, but, you know, we, we, could, we could talk about some other things. Just really quickly for our listening audience, you're listening to Talk Out of School. Uh, listener-supported WBAI 99.5. We're found on the center of your FM dial. I'm Daniel Alisea, a New York City educator, educator, and I'm alternating on weekends with Lainey Hampson, my champion co-host. And we're talking today with one of the greatest of all times when it comes to um, activism and education here in New York City and nationally to Dr. Sam Anderson. And um, I'm hoping that we can get a little bit more into um, what happens after Ocean Hill Brownsville is in 1969, we, we see the state respond to what the communities wanted, but also try to still keep um, some centralized control. And they, they decentralized the, the system in some ways. They, they created 32 community school boards. Um, there was a, a board of education, I believe, with seven members. A couple of them were mayoral appointees and then and, and some other um, elected um, uh, board members. Mm. Your thoughts on what that looked like? Because um, you know, if if you listen to to some folks, they'll say, "Well, that didn't work. It didn't get the results that anyone wanted." And somehow that is that is an indication that any type of community control is um, is going to lead to some people who who complain about the the community school boards that there was a lot of corruption. There was um, a lot of nepotism. Your thoughts on that that period from 1969 to about 1996, where in 96, um, the chancellor takes a little bit more control to 2002, and then we get to mayoral control. Your thoughts on the decentralized system. Is that community control, uh, Sam? Um, the interesting thing about the decentralization bill was that um, in the eyes of the elected officials, it was a compromise bill, a compromise bill between the uh, community control advocates and the status quo for public education uh, advocates. And the, the devil is in the details um, in, in the bill. Uh, one of the things that it, it incorporated was the ability for any parent, whether you were documented or not, to vote in elections, school board elections, and to run, you know, to, in the school board elections. And, 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 and what that meant um, politically was that, that uh, in, in, this, in this type of democracy in New York City, that was your entree into electoral politics. Because otherwise, it would have been very difficult. You'd have to side up with one of the local clubs and work and work there, and maybe give them a little bit of money or do something, right, to, to, to get in. But this was an entree. You know, you get on the school board, you get publicly recognized, and you run for some other position: city council, state assembly, whatever. You know, you can you can do that. 
And guess who did that? De Blasio. <laughs> That's he got a start there in in, in the school board. Um, the the other aspect in the, in, the, in the 32 districts was that par- parents were involved in the hiring and firing of uh, in the beginning the hiring and firing principals and 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 and, and um, the uh, board the school board uh, director. Yeah. Right. You know, and that because of. Oh, a number of factors. Um, the, the, the powers that be in thinking long term realized that they could whittle away or take out the teeth that were there for parental involvement over time. Right. And, and they systematically did that over time. Like you said, from 69 to like 96 over time. Um, the other part was there was no in, there was no mechanism built in to deal with, um, corruption. Okay. So when you look at the 32 school districts, there were maybe four, actually four that had corrupt leadership, but there was no mechanism to get to get them out, no no board of education mechanism to get them out. Because why? Because they wanted control of those school boards, and this is one of the ways you you control. Unless unless the corruption gets to be absolutely blatant, then 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 you have to make a move. But over the years, they 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 allowed that to fester in about four school districts, and. Inside of many of the school districts, you also had built in a uh, racist vendor system that was baked in from the, from the very beginning of the bill. Okay, and so what that meant was, um, as I mentioned earlier, black economic and Puerto Rican economic community development in terms of vendors, you know, like toilet paper, pencils paper, books, you know, they, they were relegated to the edges and may have been maybe 2% of the vendors, right? And, and um, I, knew the, I knew the Puerto Rican book vendor. He had a, he had a bookstore on 14th Street. <laughs> and I knew the uh, uh, black book vendor. He had a bookstore across from the Brooklyn Academy of Music, you know, called Dare Books. Uh, the, by... Um, they were hanging on by threads in by 96, these, these few black and Latino uh, uh, vendors that they, they, they were, they were hanging on by threads with the, with the introduction of Bloomberg uh, in, in, in 2002, one of the earliest things he did with a stroke of a pen was to say, uh, any book vendor has to show me $500,000 worth of sales in order to be a vendor for New York City books. So the Puerto Rican vendor was out and the black vendor was out. Um, uh, so over the years, the, the, the um, uh, how do you say, the institutionalized racist component of the community Control. I mean, decentralization bill 
became the dominant form. Yes, there were many years of fight back in, in this. For example, in uh, um, um, the privatization process uh, actually started when they were beginning the discussion of, of, of charter schools in the 1980s in New York, in the privatization process. Um, and, you know, there were some of us are saying, look, hey, no, no, we, we got to fight back. We can't do this. No, no, this, this, is, this is it. You know, we got to stop that. And it didn't get any traction until a, some, a few years later, just a few years later. But the other privatization component was the uh, educational management organization concept that, you, as you remember, HMOs, the health management organizations, came into being as a entree to the privatization of public health, and it was quote unquote successful for those uh, uh, in the ruling class, but not for the people who had to deal with uh, everyday uh, health issues. And so they said, "Well, we could do the same thing." So Edison Schools Incorporated was one of the early uh, prototypes of this educational management organization, and they were they were around in this period um, in in the uh, early nineties, um, going around the country, you know, touting the wonders of educational management, uh, and 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 so uh, it was taken up in New York. Um, they were, uh, by Giuliani, they were given, by Giuliani, they were given five schools to, to prove their worth, right? To show that this is something that could, that could actually happen. Um, and that, and that, and that Giuliani was going by the books, going by the decentralization bill. The parents have to make the decision. It's not top down. They got to vote on it. And so that was that was great because then we said we can organize in those five schools to educate, inform the parents that EMO is a way of taking away your power and at the same time uh, uh, further miseducating your children. And so we, we spent uh, a few months doing that and we were successful. None of the places voted yes on it. So we, that, that was a, 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 a big victory for us, right? And, and some great um, local uh, parent leadership came out of that, uh, out, out of those five schools. So that was, that was a, a defeat for, for Giuliani. Bloomberg saw that. Bloomberg, um, billionaire that he is, um, doesn't believe in um, parents getting involved in anything when it comes to decision making around money. Okay, you had a at that time I think it was thirty four billion dollars budget I think at that time or thirty two billion. Uh, so when when he came into uh, office, he di- literally disbanded everything that was left every piece of progressive part of the bill that was remaining, he just eliminated all of that in one fell swoop, gone, right? And so he's he's in charge and he, he'll do this, he'll select someone to do this and that. And that's what he did. And and and, and as as you remember, if someone if someone went against him on uh on it, he fired him. He said, you know, no, get out of here. You know, you're you're not 
You're not following what I'm doing. So that from 69 to 96, we see the whittling away of the power base of parents in decision-making within the uh, 32 school boards and the mythical creation that school boards by nature are corrupt. All right. But why? Because you are, you, you, you are bringing in community people, i.e. black and, and Latinx people in this. And, you know, they don't know how to run stuff. You know, you know, that, that kind of, that, that's the implication there, right? Yeah, I, that's the implication. I've, I've heard uh, several talk about some of the myths about the community school boards. And that's, that's one of them. It's somehow, they were they were filled with a lot of corruption, and they they, they do point out there was just a, a, a handful of, of community school boards that were really uh, knee deep in, in in graft and corruption. Yeah. yeah. But um, I, I, does it match any of the type of corruption that we still see in our New York City schools under mayoral control? And so, yeah, you brought up um, no, Giuliani. I know, I, I know you. I know that Giuliani, from the minute he became mayor, wanted mayoral control. Um, he he. As you just said, you alluded to that he he had some struggles um, getting that to happen. He was able to in '96 um, have Dr. Crew uh, take a lot of control over the schools as chancellor, and then in 2002, as you alluded to, um, New York City schools transfer over to and the New York State is really the one that made that decision. And each of these decisions, it, it comes from the state. There has to be um, yeah. state legislature and the, and the governor have to approve of this. But uh, there was approval for mayoral control. The teacher union, um, ironically enough, the same day that they got their contract, also gave a stamp of approval to mayoral yeah. control. Uh, your thoughts about this struggle now? Because I know uh, during this time you've remained involved in community activism and, and in our schools. But I know that uh, with the onset of mayoral control, I know that you got involved in, in several organizations and, and coalitions and now presently part of a coalition called the, the NYC um, Coalition to Finally End Mayoral Control in 2022. Um, yeah. Just uh, some of that struggle, if you could share that with us. Yeah, um, and, you know, for those who are interested, we, we will talk a little more about this with, with a, a, a wonderful panel tomorrow at, <coughs> excuse me, at, at 5 o'clock uh, on, a, on a webinar, and you can, you can register by going to by doing a search, uh, mayoral control not doing a Google or Bing search, mail mayoral control not, and you'll see the thing that says forums, and you can register on on that uh, at, at that. It's it's five o'clock tomorrow. Um, yes, uh, we uh, it was uh, early on. Black New Yorkers for educational excellence, uh, and then a little bit later, the independent. Um, Commission on Public Education, ICOPE, and Coalition for Public Education, um, uh, three, three New York City-based groups that were, were centered around the, the, the struggle for parent power and to end mayoral control. Um, and uh, we did... Um, a lot of work, primary work in, in terms of educating parents, having parent workshops, um, and, 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 and occasionally some demos, going to demonstrations and so forth, uh, going to hearings, uh, trying to testify uh, at hearings, and, and connecting with 
um, elected officials like the barons. Um, you know, we we were we were active over many years in this, but also uh, looking at what do we want, what do we envision, what are the details of what we want in terms of this idea of a of a human rights based educational system that's democratic and parent student teacher run what what is that what does that mean in new york city you know what just you know and, and that's the the independent commission on um i call the independent commission on public education that was our think tank and we we discussed that and 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 over years uh, you know because this is a hard complex issue and we came we, we came to the conclusion that uh, we, we uh, eventually we need to look at the bill um, the the decentralization bill and see how we can build out of that given our vision right given how we see school governance structures how we see um, the interaction of the neighborhood to the school, the school to the borough, and so forth and so on, you know, all those kind of things. And so that work took uh, us to Albany when Inez Barron was state assemblywoman, and and we eventually were able to get um, the uh, bill, the decentralization bill, which, by the way, was one of the very, very few historically important bills that was not digitized. Not uh, Inez had to get her assistant to go into the archives and pull it out of the archives and retype it hundreds of pages, <laughs> retype it to be digitized so that we could share it. Uh, that, that's, that's how, um, uh, how they, how those who rule wanted to obscure this, but the the issue is, we uh, in in these groups felt that it was extremely important to support the protest movements around public education uh, of various kinds. All these sites of struggles, you know, there, but also have those different groups understand that real change, real positive change comes when we have control of New York City school system. And that we meaning no mayoral control, but, you know, uh, uh, community-based uh, control. And that, that's, that's we support all the issues that, that people are fighting for, but ultimately uh, a lot of them will not be realized without education, without the educational system being in our hands. Um, and, and, and that means ending mayoral control, which is a challenge, is a, a big challenge, because as crazy as the law is, we have to go to Albany to vote, to have the, to lobby for the elected officials in Albany to vote to, uh, for, for the ending of mayoral control and the, um, uh, in, 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 and, and the acceptance of a people's board of education. Uh, concept. Um, we have to build a power base because if our, our, in the community, in the communities, because if we don't have that power base, um, all I'm all I'm saying is just hot air. You know, it just wouldn't go anywhere. We got to have that power base to put that pressure up in Albany 
to make those changes. The City Council of New York can be part of that pressure. And so that's one of the things that we want to do. We want to talk with uh, the City Council people, some uh, or a significant number of them who claim to be progressive, you know, uh, should support this our whole idea and and lobby with us in Albany to get rid of mayoral control. Sounds crazy to me that um, a state which claims to, to be progressive has allowed um, an urban city like New York City to to be stripped away from any type of democratic um, control of their schools. I, I can't go anywhere else in New York state. I don't think right. um, where you have a mayor or some type of executive controlling the schools. And I uh, guess that's, Rochester, uh, I think Rochester, Rochester. I, I think it's Rochester. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, you, you touch on that. I, I, I know that um, on your side, you have Benita Rivera and, and, and she told me, a few months ago on the phone, we were having a conversation. She said, all systems are intentional and you've got to wonder why. Um, and it's, it's one of the questions I've been asking and many have been asking, why is it that only New York city and only Rochester are, are areas where we see um, parents not able to, to be on, sit on school boards and, and to make some of this decision-making. Um, and so as part of this People's Board of Education. What's the vision for that? Because we're coming close on time, but I would love to hear your vision of what a People's Board of Education, because you, men- you mentioned the minister that, that had a, an influence in your life, and he was talking about a People's educa- uh, Board of Education in, in 66. What does that look right. like today? Yeah. How do we make sure that the system that we have today, um, that there are safeguards to make sure that um, it is parents and communities that have control of schools and not all the other interests, the corporate interests, um, the white supremacist interests. Um, how do we make sure that the People's Board of Education is a fair system, an equitable one? Your thoughts on what a People's Board of Education looks like? Yeah, that's uh, something that we had discussed, like I said, over, over the years. And to make a long story short is that we see um, education coming and governance coming out of the school, into the neighborhood, and into the borough. Um, There are 250 neighborhoods in New York City. Uh, Bed-Stuy, Crown Heights, Harlem, East Harlem, you know, um, uh, South Ozone Park, Ozone Park, you know, all of these neighborhoods. And even today in 2021, uh, these neighborhoods have a social significance for people. Um, and, and so that's where we uh, say that, you know, from the school to the neighborhood is, is where, where we build this democracy, this, this democratic process within the school. Um, and, and each, and it's, it's almost like micro, you know, like each school, uh, each neighborhood would have something slightly different compared to the neighborhood next to it. But, but there was a set of principles. One broad set, education is a human right, and what the international human rights um, policies are on that, what that means, you know, those are the broad things that we utilize. And then there are the specifics in terms of uh, what's the primary language in that neighborhood, right? Uh, what, um, what are the holidays 
in that neighborhood or neighborhoods that should be celebrated, you know, those, those kind of things. Are there educators in those neighborhoods who are willing to teach in those schools? Are there elders who could come into the schools and impart wisdom to the, the, the young folk who were there? You know, in other words, you, you, you bring in the community in its inception, right? In this very inception that you have an education uh, uh, contract, if you will, with the community that we know that we are the formerly educated, we are educated formally, we went to college and so forth, but we also know that there's a tremendous amount of wisdom, art, and craft in our communities, and that we can incorporate that at the neighborhood base, right? And at the and at the borough base, you know, we can be, we can be also borough-wide in, in that. And that and that language, you know, is 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 is, is very, very important. So it's very possible that every that under <laughs> under the uh, People's Board of Education, every child would be at least bilingual by the time they get to high school, at least bilingual. That is to say, Spanish, French, you know, uh, Arabic, whatever. You know that that that, that they would be at least bilingual, and and that would be a goal. That would be an understanding. That would be part of the whole concept of education, right? So, so you have that. You also have the idea, as I had mentioned before, that the school can help develop the community on an economic basis. And what is in our neighborhood uh, or who are, who are in our neighborhoods who can help us in 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 that whole process of of um, creating vendors, local locally sourced vendors, right? Uh, there is so much to discuss, especially around that 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 topic, because I know with mayoral control, um, we're talking about billions of dollars that everyone's everyone, especially the corporate interests, want to get their hands on. And yes. so absolutely something to really discuss. Hopefully we can um, come back, Sam. Uh, we're, we're coming short on time, but I really want to thank you today. I want to thank you for uh, sharing your wisdom with us today, sharing your, your insight with us today and sharing your story. Um, if you want more information, again, about the coalition that Sam and others are leading, again, go to a Google search, type in mayoral, mayoral control not. And you'll be able to access the, the, the coalition that Sam is leading, along with many others who have been fighting very, very, very hard to end mayoral control in our city. It's a, it's a topic that's very close to my heart. And it's one of the things I saw as I came back to the New York City school system that is inherently wrong with what's going on. Uh, there's so many issues that are happening, and I agree with you. A lot of it is rooted because one person, one man, essentially is making such important decisions for our diverse communities here in New York City. So thank you again, Sam. For those of you listening to us today, thank you so much for joining thank us. Thank you. Um, if you want to hear more of Talk Out of School, we're available as a podcast. If you missed any part of today's broadcast, again, just check out Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Also leave us a review. Thank you. Again, I am the guest host of Talk Out of School, Daniel Alisea on WBAI 99.5 Pacifica Radio. Please, please consider becoming a member of WBAI or a special supporter of this show 
uh, go to Talk Out of School on the WBAI website. Um, there is a link that says uh, donate and please, please leave a donation. Or you can also donate at 212-209-2950. That number again is 212-209-2950. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you to the Tribe of Love. And remember, love always wins.